Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. I am not Alex Bullimore, as you may have noticed. He's off spending the podcast budget somewhere sunny, or at least that's our version of the story. Uh, so I, that is Ben Summer, will be deputising. I've hit copy and paste on his last script from a home game, and I think that should just about cover it. QPR start a game well, but it turns out to be a frustrating one-all draw. Tim Erigbunen plays well, but has his odd moments, and Taylor Richards couldn't get on the pitch, even if he tried bribing the manager. With me to discuss this is Dan Lambert. Dan, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks. Good introduction. Thank you. Uh, cool. Right. Well, we'll get right into it then with the game, have a little reflection on how Swansea went. And we'll do what Alex does, which is start with the starting 11. Uh, so casting our minds back, uh, the big headline being Jamal Lowe comes in. Um, no Stephanie Hansen still. So it's a midfield two of sorts, a very Booneman field. And Clark Salter remains on the bench before getting some minutes in a B-team fixture. Uh, what did we make of all that, Dan? Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of expected. I wasn't sure if Jamal Lowe would start. I thought I think it said last week that um, they were managing his minutes, so I wouldn't be surprised if they came, he came off the bench again. But yeah, fairly fairly straightforward change. I mean, Willock hasn't really looked himself for for a while now. And then as the game started, uh, obviously Swansea have got quite a unique style of play, like one that a lot of people who follow the championship will recognise. Very possession based. How do you feel we shaped up and, and do you think Critchley deliberately set out to try and counter that? Yeah, I thought we did well, to be fair, in the press. Uh, it was 4-4-2, I think, um, kind of blocking off the access to Grimes and Allen, who are quite known for controlling the game for them. Um, so in that sense, it worked well, kind of hit them on, on the counter with uh, certain triggers and, and turnovers. So I think I think it worked well in that sense and we weren't going to sit, have all the possession against the side like Swansea. Uh, they, they do that home and away. So I thought it was it was good all in all and uh when when Swansea um changed shape in the second half, which I'm sure we'll touch on a bit, um they uh, we counted that again as well. So yeah, it was it was good from that point of view. So we'll we'll get to that with the second half in a minute, but uh, talking about the first half, before we get to the goal, uh the commentator, the EFL commentator on the extended highlights on the website called the first half a fabulous display so far from the hosts. Would you call it fabulous? Would you stretch to that? Um it was good. I don't know about right. fabulous. I mean, fabulous probably compared to recent weeks uh, with some performances, but it was certainly good. We could have gone in maybe more than one up. Um, and yeah, we, we looked quite quite dominant in the sense without having all the ball, uh, which is, I mean, it's not so surprising, but I mean, a lot of fans would assume that if you don't have the ball, you're not really dominant in a game. So, yeah. And, uh, and then looking at the goal, um, and I always... I don't know, I always compare things to Naki Wells, which I think is is to my own detriment, but it felt a bit like a Naki Wells goal. It takes it well, and the low finish right across the face of the goal. It was a lovely goal, wasn't it? Like It was really nice. Yeah, yeah it was a really good finish. Uh, I think I think it was Roberts put a ball into the box, kind of that, that trademark whip that he does, and then um, it was Dykes who managed to kind of lay it off. And, no, it was a good finish. I think there was a little backlift on, on the shot, and um, he was on the turn as well, so... To get that across um, the goalkeeper that time was no, it was a good finish and um, yeah, pleased pleased for him to, to open his account really. Definitely, I mean, like you know, if you look at the strikers that we've we've signed on loan, we've kind of got this thing of of getting the kind of somewhere between Premier League and Championship strikers in. Had the sort of full catalogue, kind of Naki Wells, Jordan Hugill, uh, Andre Malaka's Gray. Who was that? Malaka. Yeah, well, that's not between Premier League and championship is between the championship yeah. and somewhere else uh but uh you know we get the catalogue of strikers in and then gray got a goal on his debut didn't he against reading away 
um, yeah, in that yeah. three all, you know, uh, sorry, not 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 Lowe's debut, sorry, but an assist on his debut and then a, a goal yeah. on his home debut. Um, good good signs, I suppose. Um, but then it kind of leaves the question of, well, leaves a few questions, and we'll get to Willock later. But I suppose partly about where Lyndon Dykes fits in, obviously involved in the goal. Um, how how do you think they played in the two? Because I like Lyndon Dykes in the two. When, when Austin was kind of firing a bit more in that first season back on loan, I liked seeing the two of them play together. I'm picturing Dykes nodding it down to Austin, I think, at, against Luton at home on that final day. Um, yeah, that was right. I, I'd love for them to kind of get that sort of thing going, but I, I, I don't know. What, what did you make of them playing together? Um, no, I thought they played well together. I thought Dykes had a good game uh, performance-wise. Um, his low was low was kind of in the ten kind of shadow striker area, so kind of what Roberts was doing with Dykes earlier on in the month, but not to that extent. Um, I thought it worked well. The closer you can get bodies around Dykes, the the more effective we are generally with knockdowns and flick ons. Mm. Um, and yeah, he has that kind of instinct for goal low, so um, it can only help that those two those two work well together. And I think when Dykes came off the pitch. Um, and Lowe kind of played as that lone striker. You could kind of see the difference uh, between with and without him. So do you think Lowe's kind of the key to unlocking that with, with Dykes is kind of, like you say, knockdowns and flick-ons? Because I watch him play a lot. When I get to home games, I think you see things very differently when you're at the game versus when you're watching, you know, remotely or obviously listening. It's a very different thing. Um but I see with Dykes that you know, he doesn't always necessarily win that first ball himself, doesn't always necessarily get the cleanest connection on it. But my frustration way back as far as the Stoke game in lockdown that we could all, well, 2,000 of us could go to, was that you've just got no one around to mop up the second ball. Is is yeah. Lowe the key to that, do you think? Um, I don't think, I don't. I wouldn't say the key. I think there's, I don't think there's a player that's a key to that. I think it's more the structure. Mm. Um, like, I mean, you, we've seen numerous times where Dykes uh, in, in either Walton, Bill or Critchley's system where if he's isolated, he's not as effective. Um, and we know kind of how how big um, basics are in English football, like second balls, uh, winning your duels. So <clears throat> if you can get that structure around Dykes to to play off him because he can he can hold the ball up, he can link it effectively, um, that kind of gives him the platform to do what he does best. So I think it was the Sheffield United game, <clears throat> Sheffield United game, sorry, that was kind of the, the catalyst for it where it wasn't low, but it was Roberts, Chair and Willock, and they were kind yeah. of getting five, ten yards closer to him with flick-ons, with knockdowns, and we just look better for it. That's it. I mean, I, I really like that about the Sheffield United game. I thought Dykes had an excellent game. And I suppose, you know, the, the more that he wins those flick-ons and things, I, again, I, you, I've not got the tactical brain that you've got for this stuff, but I'm assuming once once he's knocked it down and someone's kept the ball and he's not tasked with immediately running long to, to collect to try and knock it down again, Dykes also gets a bit more license to do what he wants to do because if Chair's collected that ball from him, if Willock's collected that ball from him, he can receive it to feet then. And and, and yeah. you saw him do that against Sheffield United and actually does take some quite tidy touches then and gets involved and starts playing it forward. And you can see the whole thing start ticking. So I do wonder, because I've, I've always liked when we've played Willock, Roberts and Chair behind Dykes when all three of them have been playing well, which is an, has not been the case all season. I've liked seeing that. And so, you know, something like that with Lowe in there, I could I could see being good, um, definitely. We're going to talk about the indirect free kick now, if that's all right. Oh, God. Um, I, was, I was right behind that goal. So I've seen there's been a bit of chat on Twitter today. And I, I don't know, maybe this is just, I should have done my research on indirect free kicks. Some people saying when it's an indirect free kick, 
why don't the players just try smashing it at the defenders and hoping it deflects off one of them and then goes in and doesn't count as if they've shot? Surely the shot would have to be off target to begin with for that to work. Like it, 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 if it wasn't given as an own goal, if, if Ilias Chair just smashes it at the Swansea defenders rather than laying it off as, as you always do for an indirect free kick, even if it deflects, that's not a goal. That doesn't count, right? So, uh, I'm not that I'm aware of, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know the rules. Um, All right, well, that's that's my soapbox there. So, so assuming that you've got to lay it off and shoot, like has been done since the beginning of time, could we have done anything more there, do you think? Um, uh, I mean, we could have done more clearly because we didn't do anything to score. But, right, uh, yeah, but could we... No, no, could, no, no, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. no, it wasn't your, wasn't your question, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard. They had, what, the whole... The whole the whole team on the line, um, yeah. and it was it was very close anyway. So uh, I suppose hit it maybe a little bit higher. I don't know, but yeah, it just didn't work at all. And then Osman Kakai comes out and yeah, hits one yeah. into the upper, upper loft above where I'm sitting. So um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great use of the indirect free kick, but I suppose it wasn't the the easiest of uh, chances to execute. No, I mean it's one of the like if it had been laid off to chair and then chair had 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 just hit it hit it at the feet of the defenders directly or whatever that would have been irritating. But you could see that he was shaping it up to go sort of curl into the right of the goal. You can understand that. And then likewise, when you, the when you thought Dykes would be better off just just absolutely just hitting it because you know what his penalty well, technique right? Yeah, but we know what his penalty record is like. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I I get I get your point, but for me it's like. It's just, it's just one of those hindsight things, it, it, isn't it? Like if 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 chair scores, that's one thing. If Dykes, yeah. if if you lay it off to Dykes and he he shoots directly up into the air, you go, well, why are you giving that to Lyndon Dykes when he can't score a penalty? And uh, and likewise with Kako, like I think when you're a football player, you've got to take that on and and try and shoot. And I think if he tries and cuts cuts it across the box and that gets cut out by a Swansea defender, what's yeah, Kako doing playing so negatively? Then, We've got the yeah. ball in their box, <clears> and you know, we see what it's like with short corners, so I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, let's not go in. Let's not get onto short corner. That's another uh, other can of worms, I suppose. Um, and uh, final point on sort of the game as it went, and then we'll have a chat about some more um, more general stuff. The Swansea goal. Uh, now, I've seen blame be apportioned. I suppose. Well, uh, Dan, you're quite a fan of Swansea's style of play, so so maybe you won't think that blame necessarily needs to be apportioned as much. Maybe that's really good play from Swansea, and it is a good finish. I've seen people say that Kakai is a bit loose to his man and, and doesn't doesn't stop the ball getting in the box. I've seen people say that Eric Boonham lets his man drift into the box a little bit too easily to receive it. What's uh, what's your take on all of this? Yeah, I had a look at the, look at back. Um, I can see the Eric Boonham one in the sense that I think it's um, Kundal who mm. um, peels off of him when Manning's in, uh, towards the byline. So I think in that sense, he probably could track his man slightly, but then do you risk the, the fact that that Manning's isolated 1v1 against Kakai, so it's clearly the instruction to kind of double down on, on Manning, who I thought actually had a quite good game, to be fair. Um, yeah. And then it's kind of a knock-on, really, where the Kundal's free. Um, Samfield has to come across to kind of press him, and, um, and that leaves Fulton, Fulton on the edge of the area, kind of with enough space and time to take a touch and place it in the bottom corner. I mean, it's a good finish. Um, yeah. And it's kind of one of them that I think we spoke about it after the Reading game. Um, so the, Hen- the Hendrick goal, where it's kind of a knock-on effect of one, one mm. kind of mistake, and just led to um, an- another and another. So yeah, it's not too much. I thought we could have done about it, to be honest. And uh, and 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 on that, on what we could have done about it, I suppose the the cynics will say what we could have done was be two 0 up or three 0 up before that point. And I, I I've seen people, and by people I I, I sort of do mean my dad, um, get irritated at how deep we sat in the second half 
you had a slightly different take on that, I think, when we spoke about it at the time. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too bothered about it. I mean, I, I, I'm a bit tired of hearing we're too deep at times because we had it at the Sheffield United game. I think we had it. I can't remember what other game. Seems to be like the the kind of the issue with us at the minute. And I don't. I yeah. don't think it's to that extent. I mean, Swansea had seventy percent of the ball. We looked tired by that point. We looked leggy because we were pressing a lot. Um, uh, what and what? What I don't don't really expect. I uh, don't really understand what people kind of expect. You want us to push right the way up that we leave space behind our defense, so then they'll they'll hit they'll hit you either way. Um, whether that's out wide, behind behind your back line, or, or or through the middle. So they are effective in possession. But I mean, it was kind of natural that we were going to drop slightly. And when you're a bit leggy, you want to be a bit more compact. You kind of got to drop anyway to kind of compress spaces. So. I wasn't. I wasn't too bothered by it. I can see where people have come from to an extent, but I think when you're when you're defending a lead, you're not going to start uh, pressing higher than we did in the first half and kind of give up even more space than than what we were. And, and I suppose when you when you talk about defending a lead, you're defending that lead against Swansea, who just from following our Swansea City writer at work, like I see the late goals that they score and and the the margins the or the the goal deficits that they come back from. Um, and it could have been a very different story, couldn't it? I suppose if we go out there and attack, we lose the game three-one, and suddenly everyone's really, really, really unhappy. Um, but do, but do you think that sort of press aggressively when we can, but be aware that we can't do it all game and that we will have to be compact? Is that well? Two questions really. Is that a reality of Critchley that we've got to get to grips with? And what's your sort of assessment of of how that style of play has worked out so far? Um, so the first the first one. I don't. Know, I think we 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 press aggressively at times. This is more of a like we were kind of sitting in a mid block and a low block. I thought on Saturday, and then we're kind of like pressing on the triggers of centre back to full back passes. So I think it worked well. And in terms of in terms of generally like the style we're playing, I think I'm I'm okay with it at the minute. I mean, we've played I'm trying to think. We played Sheffield United at home. We played Swansea at home. Um, Reading away. So I thought running away, we were quite dominant in terms of possession. Mm. Um, but the, understandably, the the Sheffield United and um, Swansea game, particularly with Swansea and their style, I kind of expect us to sit a bit, sit sit off slightly and, and play more in the counter attack to our to our benefits. I mean, the one thing I would say that I've been impressed most by under Critchley that consistently is probably our pressing structures and our counter pressing because we look we look so much sharper when we lose the ball um, to kind of react. To, to, to winning the ball back. So I'd say that's 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 one of the main positives I've found at least. And that's something you've been calling for for a while, the pressing as well. Yeah. Well I, I mean mid, mid, under midfield we, we pressed we pressed in certain ways, but we we did it was kind of the same same each week if that makes sense. Whereas under Chris we've got the same type of principles where we kind of try and go man to man against their bat line and kind of depending on how they play a double or a single pivot, we we change our structures that way. But is quite reactive to the opposition, which I think I prefer rather than Bill's style of that four, that the narrow tens, the four, three, two, one, and then kind of just that way of playing. If that makes sense. And I mean, looking at the games that we've had so far, and and what chance we've had to implement that style, we've not won since Preston. I think that's quite quite something that sort of passes me by a little bit. But I haven't seen us win since Wigan. Jeez, I've well, I can I can challenge you on that one. I barely make it to any home games nowadays. When did I last year? I'll figure that out when I'm, when you're next talking. But yeah, you know, looking at the games we've had since then, Cardiff, frustrating. Not not abjectly terrible, but frustrating. And and I was there, and it was frustrating to be there. Um, Luton, 
awful by most accounts. Uh, Sheffield United, I thought we played really well. Unlucky to an extent, and that's a team that will feast on you if you let them. Fleetwood, we've covered that. <laughs> Reading, again, played well. Like, you can you can look at, at blaming people, but again, not, not terrible, not free-falling, all that sort of thing. And Swansea. These next few games are a massive test, aren't they? Hull, Huddersfield... Millwall, Sunderland. I mean, when you get to Middlesbrough and Blackburn, that's that's a slightly different question, and, and and not doubting the quality of sides, especially like Millwall and Sunderland. But if we're going to get points anywhere, and it's it's a very QPR thing to say, oh, we ought to beat them, and then not. But if we're going to get points anywhere, this is a run that, I'm not saying it's make or break for Critchley, but it's where we'll we'll see what he's all about, really, won't we? Yeah, I think I think the next two in particular are where I can see the wins coming from the most on mm. paper, at least. I know that's not how football's played, but. Millwall, uh, they're on a quite quite a good run of form. Obviously, defensively resolute. So, can I see us really breaking them down that well? Probably not, considering what we've seen recently. Um, and then Sunderland looked really. I I was really impressed with them. I think it was against Middlesbrough. Um, so I mean, we can beat them. We've got quality on our date. We know that because we saw the first half of the season that we can we can beat these teams. You know, Watford away, all that, all, all those kind of games. But um, yeah, it's. You think those these runner fixtures would be <clears throat> somewhere where he looks to looks to pick up some some form and go kind of get on a consistent run because he's been he's been on about our, our inconsistencies of late. Um, and if there's any time to kind of break that, it's, it's now really. I think Millwall's a massive one as well. I mean, you've got two away games and and they're sort of you know there's narrative all over the place there with um well with Huddersfield especially being as low in the table as they are. Um, but Millwall, as I, yeah, next home game against an opponent we've beaten this season under a different manager. And, I mean, through a twist of fate that I'm not going to bother explaining here, I was at Cardiff versus Millwall rather than QPR versus Swansea. Um, and really, seriously, like, that's not worth explaining going into. But uh, the, most of what I brought away from that game was just the thought that there is not that much difference between each side in the championship in terms of quality. Cardiff right down there in the relegation zone. And player for player, I was not that impressed with them. There were individuals that I thought you... This is not particularly championship standard. And Millwall were good defensively, but for a 1-0 win, there was not a huge gap in quality between a quite abject-looking Cardiff side and a Millwall side that has been on good form. Um, and I'm never going to declare that the side is there for the taking, but I think I think, I think think the Millwall game is a massive test. Um, and looking to how we might shape up for those next few games, uh, Johansson got his, uh, got his turn finally in a B-team fixture. Look set to come back, you know, anytime soon. The club have put out an interview with him. Um, well, first question to you, Dan, I suppose, uh, is once he's fully fit, assume he's fully fit, does he start? Oh, um, while you're thinking about that, my next question was, who does he come in for if he does? Yeah, I, I mean, we know. I think the the difficult thing is when you go on a bad run of form without him, and he's been out quite a long time. I think the natural assumption is that. He's a he's a big miss. Now I'm not saying he isn't. I think he is a miss. Um, like when you when you lose an Irabun and we we haven't lost Soundfield, but that Coventry game away when we didn't have Irabun and, and Dizel came in, it just you could see the quality was lacking. So I I don't think I'd bring him straight in. I think I'd I'd have to slowly integrate him, especially when we haven't we've got we've got one game week, so it's mm. not it's manageable. Um, I think I think even though maybe people said Irabunov's had a bad bad run recently, I still think he's been one of our key players this season. So I'd, I'd be more than happy to keep Irabunov and field together. I suppose it's whether he changes the system slightly and plays a uh, three-man midfield. 
and then drops one of the attackers. But do you do that when you've got the depth that we have? Um, so I'd probably say in short, no. Mm. Um, but if I if he was to come in, I'd bring him in for Erebunum because I just think if you have Erebunum and your Hansen, you're kind of leaving yourself vulnerable with four attackers up the pitch. Oh, you kind of, need, yeah. kind of need that balance. I mean, I wouldn't drop field anywhere, but um, yeah, I, I don't think Johansson and Erebunum are a match made uh, together. I, I think. I mean, I think field has quietly or maybe not so quietly become one of our sort of undroppable players and that we don't have someone that can do exactly what he does exactly as well as he does um whereas pretty much every other midfielder that we've got you're talking about their strengths being more creative uh, than defensive to some extent right and and there's different versions of that there's Dizel's sort of tidy passing but not particularly ball carrying thing you've got Eric Boonham who will take the ball and will run at defenders but I mean I know we've had the debate about Eric Boonham and, and to what extent do you play your own players versus the ones that are on loan, but Johansson isn't a player we've got an interest in developing, right? He's, he's coming towards the later days of his career. His injury record hasn't been perfect. So actually, I don't think there's an argument for playing him ahead of Eric Boonham on principle. And you can look at it on merit and go, I suppose he's got to earn that place back if he's going to. Um, and, and then talking about whether you switch to a three-man midfield brings us to our other question, which is Chris Willock. Um, makes a cameo against Swansea but on the basis of what we've seen you know I, I, I don't see why you necessarily bring him in even if he's been carrying an injury and is, is starting to get free of it his form hasn't been fantastic but he is a player that we've got an interest in developing um, and so you look at do we bring him in for Roberts because Roberts is a lone player I don't know what you do I don't know if you bring him in and if you do bring him when you bring him in but if we're looking to sell him at some point we've kind of got to haven't we so how, how do you navigate that yeah um... I wouldn't bring him in if I'm being honest. Um, for now, I mean, you could. There's the argument that that with the loan players and that we we're not really going to push for this playoff base anymore. That yeah, this is kind of now's the time to kind of bring him in. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what where where do you play him for one if you've got low players like a uh, second striker. Chair plays are better off the left than than what Willock has done in this system. Uh, and Roberts is doing really well at the minute on a on a good runner down the right. Um. Maybe you could argue the system doesn't suit him as much because he's not really like an out and out wide player. But to be honest, you can look at you can look at our four four or five attackers, um, and really the only one that's an out and out winger or could play an out and out winger is probably low on the right hand side. Mm. So I suppose there's an argument that that they're doing the job that that Willock could do. But I keep as it is to be honest with you. I think Chair's playing all right. Um, Low, low will will get us on a good run, I reckon. And Roberts is playing well with Dykes as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't bring him in for now. But um, I don't know what it is. Whether he's he's definitely lost some sort of sharpness. Um, and he just he just doesn't look the same as as what he was. Maybe he was rushed back from injury. But hopefully, we can get him back to his best because uh, he's only got what eighteen months on his deal now. Yeah, is that including the year that? that the yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I don't. Yeah, so. I don't know. Hopefully, we'll see see him back to his best soon. Um, because we may have to sell him in the summer. It's it's a it's a really difficult one because, yeah, we you think we would look to sell right, and 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 I've gotten my sort of high horse about we talk about being a selling club or at least have talked about being a selling club without actually selling players. And let's assume that Willett gets a few starts and a few bench appearances in the second half of the season. Say he gets a couple of goals, nothing like the the start of the season, and that's frustrating in itself because uh, talking about just going back to his injury. The more you hear about how Beal 
played the players, you know, through injuries and, and how that affected Luke Amos, for instance. And we got some fantastic stuff out of Chris Willock. And it's it's kind of heartbreaking to think that we may have gotten that by slightly flogging him a bit too much. I don't know whether that was the case, because we've heard about it more in connection to Amos than, than Willock. But it, it makes me worry a little bit. Anyway, say his form is all right for the rest of the season. And we're talking about having to sell. Do you think we get offers in if he doesn't kind of reclaim that form that he had early this season, parts of last season? Um, uh, there might be some interest. I don't know about concrete offers. I think with the the, the two injuries had what over the two years um, could be could be, it's gonna it's gonna put put clubs off, especially clubs in the Premier League that may have may have kind of want uh, had an interest in him previously. Um, I think I said last week to to Alex that if we do get anything, I think it'll be maximum up to five million up front um, mm. with add-ons. That's that's all we're gonna have to be able to do. Um, and thinking about it, really, if Critchley's going to long-term play this four-two-three-one, and we're to keep him on after the summer, is he someone that's really going to get his maximum uh, potential yeah. uh, from from him in that in that system? I mean, for all for all Bill's um for the negatives of Bill, he did get him in the right system and got him to his potential. We saw him in the first half of the season; he was one of the best players in the league. So. I think there's there's a bit of that will he will he flourish in the new system if we we're to keep him in the summer, but also financially do it, we're going to benefit if we do cash in from him rather than letting him go for nothing. And uh, well, talking about how much we might get offered and how much we might accept and so on, probably brings us on quite nicely to Lyndon Dykes if we, if we're talking potential outgoings and then we'll get on to potential incomings. The story that we rejected a bid of in some sense, three million, whether that's add-ons, I'm not quite sure. Um, if that if that was, well, we, we, we know there was a bid, right? We know that the club rejected the bid. We don't know the finer detail. Um, in general, do you think we were right to reject it? Yeah, I think we were. I think I read that a lot of the add-ons were like promotions, specifically yeah. from, it was from Millwall, wasn't it? The, the yes, bid. yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of be on promotion and stuff like that. I think it wasn't, wasn't really anywhere near three up front. Um, I think that was definitely the right thing to do. Um, I think I'd still be open to selling him though, if the right man in, in this think, window. Yeah, I, I think we're leaving it late, but I think if we can get we can get up to, uh, three million up front for him with maybe mm. a few add-ons, then I'd, I'd I'd consider that. I mean, like I said, it does leave us short. We we probably have to pay low up top, and Armstrong may have to may have to stay beyond uh, January if he wasn't going to get a loan. So that could impact that could have a knock-on effect if you like, but. I mean, I know, I know he has value to the side because we've seen it in performances like what he brings overall. But I just think we need someone that can that can equally just, just be have a, we can have a good finisher if that makes sense. Just I know his all round game's good, but we we lack goals from him. Um, I, I don't know how many he's on this season, but I can't can't imagine as many. Um, so yeah, I think I would be open to open to to selling him, and it does leave us short for replacements when we have to get a loan as a stopgap, but. Um, yeah, I think I think the money the money's right, like you said, with this whole selling club stuff. You've got to be open, have have valuations for players, and if it meets it, then you've got to to let them go. That's it. And six goals for the season that is as well. Um, and uh, I know that there's been charts going around on Twitter. I think it was from uh, our insights about him underperforming his xG and all that sort of thing. Um, it's a difficult one. And and you use the word stopgap, and that's exactly right. I don't think if we sell him tomorrow, I don't think we get anyone useful in realistically. We might get someone who can get us to the end of the season. We might not, and, and maybe may left with our our current options. Um, 
and I wouldn't want to see us reinvest the money properly in this window because I don't think it's a good market. Um, but I still think, yeah, getting decent money for Linton Dykes in this window that we can spend properly in the summer, properly and reinvest, I think is essential. People go on about the board and Les and Lee and whatever, but I want to see, I think I think a big test of them uh, and, and the club's recruitment is what can you do with three million on a striker? You know, try and get someone for that. Where, where does that go? Um, because we don't like talking about copying Brentford, but and it's not the exact same numbers, but I always I always look at it and go, well, look, Neil Mope, Ollie Watkins, um, Ivan Tony. Like that is if that's a progression that you want to make, you sell someone, you buy someone, you sell someone, you buy someone, and eventually, you know, Tony's scoring in the Premier League. And it's not you can't just copy that and do it instantly, right? But it, I, I think we've just got to get on that road somehow. We've got to sell someone. And three million is a profit, you know. Uh, Dykes has not fired us to promotion, but he has been a reliable player for a few seasons. And then to, to you talk about signing players that you don't extract value out of, right? Say if Chair left on a free. Um, well, Chair's a bad example because we didn't pay money for him. Say if Willock left on a free. It's frustrating. It is frustrating, but he's been a really, really good player for us. And so you've not made a profit, but you've got value. The idea that we can have got some value out of Lyndon Dykes, and, and again, his, his, his general play I, I have really valued, uh, and profit. I, I kind of think, think that you can't, you can't turn that down. Anyway, uh, we're getting towards the end of the podcast now, but you, you mentioned there possibly a stopgap striker. Are there any other incomings that you'd want to see before the end of the window? Because this is almost certainly, unless we do another pod very early next week, almost definitely our last one of the window. Um, I can't see an awful lot coming in. I know people talk about depth at, at left back. For me, we're we're pretty well served in midfield. Um, and I know we've spoken quite a lot about how, despite the issues of the dispense, the, despite the fact that Clark's alters injury prone, done as his weaknesses, um, and Balogun, you know, was maybe not an incredible signing overall. Name a name a mid budget championship club with better a better four to select from. I think we're fine there. So so where if anywhere do you think we should be making signings? Um, yeah, probably it's not, it's not a necessity per se for the amount of attackers we have, but I'd say a, a natural winger. I think we do need, we do lack someone that, um, particularly on that right hand side, but it's not urgent, but I can see why I crucially wanted, um, Ebi Wobi, uh, on loan because, yeah, I mean, Roberts has done a good job, but you look at, you look at kind of how the three play and how sometimes they're all on the left hand side of the pitch. So, as much, and I think I said last week that as much as Mide Shadipo isn't the quality we need, he was the type of profile we had in the sense that he could kind of give us that width and that balance on the right-hand side. So I'd probably say there, um, possibly left-back depth, but it's not it's not a necessity. Uh, other than that, the strike is the one we kind of need if, if Dyke yeah. goes, I'd say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one with that. And with that natural winger, obviously Shadipo going out on loan to Lincoln is... is pretty much an admission of he's, he's not quite good enough and I think it's something that we knew but but you're right in that before he went Critchley was pretty intent on playing him and and you know beyond the sort of thing of let's give him a go and see if he's any good I, th- I think that is a we want someone in this position let's see if he's up to it and he and he wasn't quite but yeah I'm not I'm not expecting a lot I mean I've seen no murmurings no no uh, West London sports that, right really that, that young right oh back. yeah Good point. Ingram, yeah, that would be Ingram. I think his name is. Well, look, it would be great to own a, a decent right back. You know, we've we've had decent right backs, but but have we owned them? I'm not sure. Um, no, not for a while. No. 
so yeah no that would be that'd be nice uh but i am i am viewing it as that'd be nice and and let's see really and and uh, again i i'm not going to repeat my rants from previous podcasts but we've got a good squad uh, not an incredible league winning squad but we've got a good squad um so i think it's going to be a really big few weeks for um you know what we can get out of them i don't know if i can tempt you with a uh, a score prediction um uh, that for is whole... for the for the whole game sorry yeah um I'll go two one to us. As I was going to go two 0 I'm not not to insult Hull who, who have picked up some some decent results, but I think the floodgates are a bit overdue for opening. So you know, let's hope that they do. I suppose. Any final any final thoughts, or should we uh, should we wrap this up? No, I don't think so. No. Nice one. Well, in that case, uh, it just remains to say thank you to everyone for listening. Hopefully, I've done a, a decent job of deputising for Alex, but also hopefully he comes back soon because he is uh, the real master at this. Uh, So thanks again, and until next time, come on you ours.